our inner life, our transformation of our heart by the Spirit of God should spill out in practical action. Well, when I was your age, little ones, there was a program called We College. Did anybody go through We College? No, it didn't make it to Powell River. Okay, some people know it. It was great. We College is excellent. I put my kids both through We College. And it was like, I have vivid memories of We College. I remember the poster board graduation caps we did and the processionals up to the front of the church and, and these like three, four, and five-year-olds uh, are standing there holding a mic quoting like whole chapters of the Bible because their memories are so much better than ours. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. So who knows? Maybe we'll have a week college resurrection right here at Evangel. Who knows? But one of the songs, because we always had song time, was this song called Be Careful Little Eyes what you see. Does anybody know that from like back in Sunday school days? Okay, you know it. So for those of you who don't, point to your eyes. Okay, point up. And then like this. And back to your eyes. Okay, here we go. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. And the admonition would go on to other verses to say, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. And last week, Pastor Lucas began this section in Ephesians, starting at Ephesians 4.17. And I don't know about you, but when I open my Bible to Ephesians 4.17, it tells me instructions for Christian living. Does anybody have a title like that above their section in Ephesians 4.17? No, nobody's awake yet. Guys, we've been here for like 45 minutes. You just sang an action song. Come on. And as Pastor Lucas shared with us last week, sometimes it can feel like that is what this Christian faith is. It's just following these instructions. It's just following after this list of do's and don't do's. And it can feel like all that we need to do as Christians is just look outwardly correct. Just say the same lingo stay away from the same things, do the same things. And as long as we are all these cookie-cutter people following this list of shalls and shall nots, we're good. But like Pastor Lucas shared last week, that's only if we take this list at face value. If we dig into the heart behind the list, it's kind of a different picture, isn't it? It's not just about what we do and don't do. It's about this God who loves us, who created us, who died for us, who wants the best for us, and who invites us into relationship and knows the things that are going to foster relationship and the things that are going to break it. And we're going to continue on in that passage today, exploring more of the to-dos and don't-dos, because there are quite a few in this section for us. 
So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 7. So God, we thank you that you did. You designed us. You made us. You created us. And just as when we make something, we know the best way to serve it or, or the best way that it should operate because it's come from our imagination. We're, we're the one who understands the intricacies of it. You understand us on that same way. And you know best how our life will be fulfilling you know best how our life will be full of purpose. You know best how our life will foster a relationship with you and you set those things out for us. And so as we look again at more of this passage of things that we, we should stay away from, would you help us to see your heart for us behind the list? Would you help us to dig deeper? To see that you're not really just asking us to modify our behavior, but you're asking us to surrender so you can transform our heart. Would you make us good soil? And so, Holy Spirit, as always, would you just allow my own words to get out of the way? <laughs> would you speak what you want to speak this morning? In your precious name, amen. Well, flip in your Bibles with me to Ephesians 5. If you have it on your phone, that's totally fine. You can use your phone in church. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to help you get one. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, there's all of the ways. If you want to get it on a device, if you want to get paper Bible, we would love to help you with that. So starting at Ephesians 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for the Lord's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. We can't fully pull these verses away from the passage as a whole. So if you do still have your Bible, scroll back up with me to Ephesians 4, 17, where we started this last week. Ephesians 4, 17 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. And this is going to give us some context to these verses that we just read. So Paul opens up this section of his letter with this reminder that these followers of Jesus are to live, shocking, as followers of Jesus. Right? We have a football season right now. Um, I'm actually really trying to learn. That's an honest statement. Uh, and it's football season. And our family, we cheer for the Seahawks. And so, in our family, you won't see anybody wearing other jerseys. Right? On our Christmas tree, there are Seahawks ornaments. I know. Surprising. I have Disney ones. Lucas has Seahawks ones. 
But you won't see something else like the Kansas City Chiefs, which is big in news right now. Thanks, Taylor Swift, for making us all football people. Uh, and so you're not going to see other things because we live as Seahawks fans. Because that's who we are. Shockingly, this is opening up with this, this statement. If you're going to follow Jesus, live, shockingly, like followers of Jesus. Not as those who are lost. Not as those who are in darkness because they haven't yet met the light of the world, Jesus. Not as those whose lies reflect their confusion and separateness from God. No, live as children of the light. That's stealing from next week because this is all one big section. Live as imitators of God. Live as children of God. And that means we will have lives that are different, just as we heard last week. That means that we will put off the old things and put on the new things. That means that there are going to be behaviors and habits that we choose to say no I'm not going to participate in that anymore. No, I'm going to change this part of my life so that I walk as a child of God. It does mean that there should be some things that change outwardly within us because we were once in darkness, but we're not there anymore. We're in the light, and now that we've found Jesus, our outward trajectory should look like Jesus. We should be walking towards looking like him evermore. Ephesians 5, 1 to 3 reminds us of this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now this is important. Now we do have our kids and preteens here this morning, so here's a caveat. I'm going to um, speak in some broad terms this morning. You can read through the lines of what I'm saying, or you can go home and research the city of Ephesus. Your choice. The city of Ephesus was an indulgent city. In, in fact, the entire Greek kind of society was an indulgent society. They were very happy to participate in actions and behaviors that appeased the different appetites in their bodies. And that is where we land in Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 7. And here's where this Ephesians 4, 17 don't live like the Gentiles, comes hand in hand with this follow God's example as dearly loved children. Because Paul's saying it's not enough for you to just not look like them. It's not enough for you to just not do the things that this indulgent city participates in and call it holiness. It's not enough for you to just say, look, at least I don't do that. And say that that is the same as living in a way that's pure and redeemed as a child of God. What he's saying is absolutely stay away from those things. But that's not enough. You also have to follow God. There are things that you don't do anymore. Because you're not living in darkness, you're living in light. But there are also things that you have to 
do in order to have a life that screams, I am a child of God. If we compare ourselves to others who sin differently than us, we're going to have an inflated sense of ourselves. Right? If we just compare ourselves to others who are walking far from Jesus, we're going to look pretty great on the sin scale from a human perspective. But that's not who we're supposed to live up to. We're supposed to stand our lives up to Jesus. And you know what? When I compare my life to Jesus, I have a long way to go. When I compare my life to Jesus, what may have seemed like holiness compared to them is completely and utterly broken and in need of a savior. Our goal is not to look less like other broken human beings. It's to look more like Jesus, who's transforming us day in and day out to look like himself, who's drawing people to himself through his character on display in his children. I got a new commentary this week, and I'm very excited about it and I'm going to be quoting from her a lot. This is from Lynn H. Kohick, and she puts this so, like, so good. Are you ready? I hope you are, because I was, I, like, read it. It's, they're long quotes, okay? Just sit back and enjoy them, because she is an incredible writer. Here we go. The church must be known as a holy place by the wider society, not as holier than now, and arrogant, but pious, moral, and generous. Even though Paul makes a sharp contrast with his reference to the immorality of the pagans, he nevertheless wishes that these pagans would be drawn into the communion of the saints. Thus Paul does not ask the church to separate out of the society, but to walk in love, such that the wider society would be attracted to the group a beloved children of God. I love it. We need to be a holy people, not a holier-than-thou people. Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you. Thank you. Some people are waking up. That's good. So what does it look like, then, to walk out holiness? What does it look like to not just do the do's and don'ts, but to have a heart transformed. Now, we see some of these do's and don'ts in Ephesians 4. We read them last week. Put off falsehood. Give up stealing. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. But then Paul picks up here again in Ephesians 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. David Guzik writes this of this passage. This is a call to practical action going beyond our inner life with God. Now, 
That might sound different than what we've just been talking about, but heart transformation. So let me back up for a moment. I mentioned that Ephesus is an indulgent city. And so David Guzik is not saying that this is not a heart issue. This is a heart issue. That this is not a righteousness issue. It is a righteousness issue. But what David Guzik is saying is that our inner life shouldn't just stay in us. Our inner life, our transformation of our heart by the Spirit of God should spill out in practical action. In this case, our inner life spills out in a way that follows God's example. Now here's the thing about the sins of indulgence. There are three listed in Ephesians 5 in case you want to look at them. Sins of indulgence, these sins of excess, they will always victimize someone else. If you participate in one of these sins of indulgence, the natural outcome for you to be able to appease those appetites is to take from someone else. The only way that you can appease the appetites of those sins of indulgence is to make someone else less than in your mind so that your conscience is not seared. It's the only way. And so it's not enough to step back in this list in Ephesians 5, 1 to 7, and say, you know, I'm just going to allow God to transform my heart, but then to keep on sinning. Because if we do, what we're actually doing is taking this other human being that God created and loved and died for, and we're trampling on them for our own good. And that's when this gets very practical. When heart transformation isn't enough, if we continue to walk out ways to victimize other people. To indulge in excess for me is to remove from someone else. To indulge in lust for me is to remove the dignity from someone else. To indulge in greed for me is to withdraw provision from someone else. To indulge in these sins of excess, I must victimize someone else. And that is where God's wrath comes in. Because he looks on his children and says, How dare you who hold my name treat my beloved this way? This list has to start from our transformation in our heart, but this is a no-go zone because God loves people. Lynn Kohick writes, why? Because the kingdom of Jesus the Messiah and God the Father includes a community of equally worthy members. No one should make another believer the butt of a crude joke, nor take advantage of another as an object of desire. Paul's world was filled with those who satisfied their lusts 
for sex and power by using others as objects. God executes his loving justice as he condemns such abuse. And Paul speaks of this as God's wrath. So follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, God Almighty, who could have looked on us as less than but gave himself up for us instead as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why does Paul take such a harsh stand against this list of three in these seven verses? Because they oppose the cross completely. Because they prioritize me above you. Because they speak the language of abuse. And God doesn't tolerate that. So there's a practical action to this gospel of dying to ourselves, of putting off our old sin. This life that we walk in Jesus is active. It demands things for us to do because our actions reflect on his character. But again, in case we're, we're tempted to just compare and say, well, look... I've stopped doing those three. I'm good. Holiness. Paul says, no, no, no. Let's go a little bit further. Let's see God's heart for holiness. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. It's not just what we do and don't. How's your conversation life? Are you entertaining sin in the things you say? in the things you joke about? How's your thought life? Are you opening the door just a touch? You know, not all the way, just a little bit, to the notion of sin? And this isn't new for us here in Ephesians 5. This is actually Jesus' idea way back from Matthew 5. When he says, those of you who are angry, you're just as guilty as those who've murdered somebody. Those of you who thought lustful thoughts, you're just as guilty as the one who's committed adultery because there's no hierarchy of sin to God. There is to us. But he doesn't see it that way. And he says it not to make us give up because if it is like that all-encompassing, if we go, man, if I even just think a wrong thought, God... Jesus tells us this in Matthew 5, and then it's confirmed here again in Ephesians 5 to remind us of how all-encompassing and permeating sin is. That on our own, we can't get away from it because our hearts themselves are evil. And if we're left to ourselves, we will just continue to dip our toe in 
where we shouldn't, and then it's not too much longer until we're up to our ankles, and then our knees, and then our waists, and then our shoulders, and we're all the way in, because that's what sin does. It draws us in. It tempts us further and further and further, and so we can't claim righteousness just based on what we do and we don't do. I have a question for you. Would you joke about having a bomb in your suitcase in an airport? Thank you. Thank you for saying no. Only one person has wisdom in the room. Everyone else is just sitting there like, huh? Maybe. No, you wouldn't. You would not joke about having a bomb in your suitcase in an airport. Because it's not enough that you don't have a bomb in your suitcase. Your words have consequences. It's not enough that you just don't do the thing that you joked about doing. You're still going to be interrogated. You're still going to have consequences of wasted time, of probably a lot of warnings. And that's the thing here. Is Paul saying it's not enough for you to just not do it. Don't even joke about it because your words matter. Don't make light of the horror of sin. Don't entertain it. Don't open the door even just a crack. I mentioned I was stealing that phrase from William Barclay. And let me read this quote from him. To joke about something or to make it a frequent subject of conversation is to introduce it into the mind and to bring nearer the actual doing of it. Paul pleaded with his converts not to be deceived with empty words which removed the horror from the idea of sin. Our words are powerful. Our words have weight. We see this over and over in the Bible. We're told to be careful with what comes out of our mouth because the tongue has the power of life and death. We're told that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're told that our mouth reveals our inner life, but we're also told this in James 3, verses 3 to 6, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it make, makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Mind your tongue. It will steer your life. What we talk about desensitizes our conscience to sin. And Paul is inviting us to a holiness that goes far deeper than the practicalities of these actions but he's also asking us in tandem to walk out a holiness that others can witness. 
If we claim to follow Jesus' example, but then what we do and don't do doesn't represent him well, our lives make liars out of us. And again, this isn't to show us how futile this all is, but how all-consuming sin is. We should feel the gravity of it. We should feel the horror of it. We should feel the weight of it because it breaks the heart of God and it separates us from him. And the danger comes when we reason it away. The danger comes when we compare ourselves to other people and in doing so believe we don't need God. So we're not that bad. The danger comes when we get this twisted idea of grace and think that because God will forgive us, we can just keep doing whatever we want. We can't. Again, Lynn Kohick writes, Paul presents a future-facing orientation. Not only to encourage the Ephesians to obey God daily, but also to expose the evil of the present age. Paul invites readers to pause over the richness of salvation, who they are in Christ, and to link that identity with actions and thoughts that reflect their identity. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Who you are is a dearly loved child of God. Who you are is created on purpose and with a purpose to know him first and foremost. And then to reflect him. Who you are is no longer your own, but an ambassador of Christ. Who you are is being transformed and renewed day by day by day. It's why we're given this encouragement in the Bible that we can take every thought captive because thought leads to words, which leads to action. We went to this one youth retreat and a pastor named Trevor Caverly from, from Edmonton, he said, the first thought isn't the sin. Because temptation comes for us all. It's the second. It's when we look back. When we choose to sit and think and ponder and meditate on it. The first thought, we live in a world that's full of temptation. We live in a world that's full of brokenness. And when that first thought comes, here's what the Holy Spirit tells us. He says that you can take captive that thought and bring it into alignment with the heart of God. The first thought isn't sin, but don't look back. Don't sit in it. Use that authority. Use the Spirit of God who lives within you to choose Him and His character and His way above all. 
But when thoughts take root and we sit in them and we are not obedient to the ways of God, then those thoughts become our words. And it's not a big deal. It's just friends joking around, right? It's not a big deal. I wouldn't actually do it. It's not a big deal. I'm just fitting in. God knows my heart. But it is. It is a big deal. Because those words desensitize our conscience to the weight and the horror of that sin. And it's much harder to go from a thought to an action than it is to take the baby steps of making it no big deal. So friends, let's hear God's heart through Paul. It's not just what we do and we don't do that makes us holy. It's not just what we do and we don't do that makes us righteous. We need to see the horror of sin in its entirety. And not just wait until the action to say yes or no, but to take the steps all the way back. We're not even entertain the conversation of sin. And when the thought of sin comes, you bet we're going to stand on the power of the name of Jesus and say, not, not here, not in this mind. In this mind, I'm taking that captive and I'm bringing it into alignment with what God wants for my life. And it's not that. And so we follow his example because we're dearly loved. Because you're dearly loved. Because you were bought with a price. Let's pray and then we're going to sing this song one more time together. God, Just like this church in Ephesus, we live in an indulgent society. And it can be really easy to minimize the weight of our own sin. And to get so stuck in pride and arrogance because we don't do the big things that we forget the horror of sin. That we forget the cost of it. That we forget that there's consequences. We forget that when we indulge in those things that our flesh wants, very typically at the cost of somebody else. Someone that you created and love and died for. Would you show us the weight you open our eyes to 
all of the ways that sin doesn't just destroy us, but all the ways that sin hurts people that maybe we don't even know. Because God, you've given us a better way. You've given us a way for us to treat everyone with dignity. You've given us a way to walk in abundant life and with joy and peace and freedom. You've given us a way. And so when those thoughts come, Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to call on you? we cling to you in those moments because you're faithful to your word would you evaluate our speech even those things that are just jokes would you put a guard over our mouths and Holy Spirit would you search and know us and those actions, those things that we do do that break your heart and reflect poorly on the precious name of Jesus, would you convict us right now? Would you show us what those are? Not to shame us, but to bring healing and freedom so we could look more and more like you. Would you search us and know us? God, once again, we stand at the foot of the cross as we participated in communion this morning. And we know that the cross covers it all. And so we don't give up in shame, but we look to you for forgiveness, for restoration, for redemption. And you're so gracious to meet us where we are every time. So as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, would you search us again? Would you reveal your heart for us and for all of humanity? In your precious name.